Welcome to Staying at the Table. We are friends and community, part of a church called Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Despite our many differences, we aim to stay at the table, which means we don't walk away from each other when we disagree. We believe the best of relationship comes when we are willing to listen to each other, showing love even when we continue to see the world differently. In today's episode, we pull another question out of the basket, and it's about whether and how the church can apologize for past hurts. We discuss what it means to apologize, what it looks like, both from an institutional and an individual perspective. We hope you enjoy our conversation today. Hello, and welcome back to Staying at the Table with Matt um, I almost called you Rotman. That's so funny. <laughs> Matt Kissler and the Reverend James Beatty, and I am Tracy Saletta. And we, um, all of us together, were talking about future episodes and what we might discuss and how we might be able to kind of uh, show how to disagree while having conversation. And so we all put down subjects that we thought were valid and important and maybe appropriate for this 21st century. That we might disagree about. That we might disagree about. And so we have we wrote the subjects down and we put them in a basket and we are now in the process of going through and we kind of randomly choose one. And if you want to send in yours, please, we will put yours in the basket. Yes, we will add yours to the basket. So today's question is, how does the church reconcile and apologize for wrongs it perpetrated over centuries? And is it possible to acknowledge all the ways the church has been destructive? Powerful question. So I'm going to put it out to the team. You know, embedded in that question is that the church acknowledges that they've done any wrong. And unfortunately, all connected to the religion of Christianity has not come to an agreement that they've been involved in any wrong. So the first, that's the first part for me. Um, but say we walk past that group. Now we're to the group that acknowledged some wrong has occurred. Um, And they're starting to wonder, you know, is there anything that they're responsible for apologizing for? Mm. And there's another group that doesn't believe that. So now we have to walk past that group. Wrong has happened. There's you walk past that group. Second group you walk past is the group that thinks that there is nothing that can be done. And we should just all start from this very second and move forward. Then we engage the people who are also now thinking wrong is happening right now. So there is nothing to walk past. Um, I think I fall in that group. And then we go, okay, now we're finally to a group that will even think about Christianity and any wrong, which is a very small group, I will, in my opinion, right now. Can it acknowledge all of them? No, because it's unaware. It's unaware of all the ways organized religion has been destructive within the world. They only see the good. 
right? And the good was not by them. The good was by Christ. And somehow they've attached their affiliation with Christ with their own goodness instead of the destruction that has come through organized religion. And you might say, well, what is some examples of that? Whenever you give cover to an evil that has occurred in the world, you have done wrong. We've acknowledged several times within our podcast that Christianity was involved in slavery. And it talked about, we even talk, even recently, you'll hear churches talking about the curse of Ham and the, and the justification of that. We're talking about things that are wrong. Um, so should it? Yes. Can it? No. Some are willfully ignorant and some are just blissfully ignorant on all the different things. Uh, but should it? Absolutely. Is there any harm in it? I don't believe so. That's my opening part of this. There's there's others, but I want to make sure others start uh their thoughts as well. Yeah, I, to, to me, the, the big question that pulls out of that question is, what's the mechanism? Like, what does it mean for the church to apologize? And I liked what you were talking about, James, as far as that responsibility. Is it right for individuals to feel and respond to a sense of responsibility for what the corporate church has done. So obviously, I think we would all agree, and there's probably little disagreement around individuals who have done wrong things should apologize, and that's on them, right? So at one level, you know, Pastor X, who did Y evil thing, you know, whether that's breaking a law or, I mean, I don't even need to say we can just look, pull up any news feed and we can find something, something that somebody did wrong. That person should apologize. That person should repent. But then the, the more relevant question is, what about the church around it? How does, you know, if an individual pastor falls, what's the responsibility for the elders? What's the responsibility for the members? To apologize. And then when we talk about the bigger church, is there a sense of responsibility that we need to take on? Because I feel like that's the the tension that you get the pushback from some where they say, Well, I wasn't responsible for slavery, right? So why should I apologize? And I think that to me is the first question that comes in my mind is what is the First of all, responsibility each of us bear for apologizing for the past, and what is the responsi- What is the mechanism by which apology can happen? So, if I feel that yes, I personally, even though I, I don't know in what ways my family contributed to or didn't contribute to the slave trade, you know, I don't have any evidence that we did, but. That's kind of even, you know, th- there's systems that you could say anyone who was alive was part of that system at that time. But if I felt a responsibility to apologize, how would I do that? Can I just walk up to any African-American person and say, I'm sorry? Like, is that appropriate or is that weird? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think those are the kind of the, the direction I go when I hear that question. So 
for me, I hope I don't have a stampede of people running out of our church after I say this. I think that stampede is already kind of... (laughs) Happening. (laughs) The coach is already hitched to the horse. (laughs) So, you know, for me, it is a historical question. Because when I look back and, you know, we just spoke last podcast about the Bible. And when I read that, there is so much, so many atrocities perpetuated. You know, there is the the raping of women. There is the, uh, you know, children, women, people being harmed in the name of God. There are atrocities that are perpetuated there. So in this sacred document that we carry, there are things that are being done to various people groups, to various genders, in the name of God. It starts at the very foundation of of this book that we consider holy. So, and then you move from there to the Crusades. And then you move from there to even today, the continued, you know, churches that are homogenous or churches that don't allow women to be in leadership. I mean, it is an ongoing So where do you start? And I'm with you. Where do you start? Because if you touch, if you go, you know, and again, the conversation we had on our last podcast. So you go back and you go, within this document that we consider to be holy, there are atrocities that were perpetuated from the beginning. How do you go back to that? What do you do with that? So, you know, this is a, it is, it is such a, uh, important question to me because it, it is the abuses that were done, not just church, but in the name of God, in the name of religion. How, how do we walk that out now? And for me, it comes to an acknowledgement of that and not being afraid to look at this book that we consider to be holy and to go, that was wrong. That was wrong. What, what was done to those women, that was wrong. What was done to that, those people group, that was wrong because that doesn't fit with love. But if we, don't, if we don't go back and question and see it there, we're not going to see it now. We're going to continue to perpetuate the blindness in the name of God. I agree. That was the first, when you were speaking, what, what, um, what sparked in my mind that there are patterns that we see historically. And if you start with the Bible, you can start seeing our patterns today. Um, If I was to say, you know, to acknowledge and apologize for, apologize isn't a verbal. I think our apology today has to be in our actions. Mm. And I think a a few sermons ago, Pastor T, you, you, you were talking about, or either we were having a conversation or something, and it's, it is amazing how Christianity has gone from the comfort of the outcast to the comfort of the empowered. Mm-hmm. That's what Christianity has become. 
So in, in terms of relating it to the statement you just made, it is saying all the things that we see historically in the patterns of these things are wrong. When we allow uh, a group to be disadvantaged and kind of shrug our shoulders, we're doing wrong. We're dishonored. And I'll just say from my perspective, we're dishonoring Christ at that moment because Christ was always going around and saying, hey, you're, you're, you're doing harm to these people. And so the way to apologize is the first to highlight that that is a reality based on the uh, history we see and the patterns we see, and then starting take, to take actions to remove that, uh, those wrongs. Uh, the apology isn't words. The apology, again, in my opinion only, no longer providing cover for when groups do wrong. And no, what I mean by that, you can't make groups of people comfortable participating in wrong actions. That is the apology. I was uh, had the uh, the great fortune of last summer being in D.C. because my daughter had some things that she was working on. I'm driving down the street, and um, I saw this one church, and then the area that we were in in D.C. This this church was. Uh, predominantly white, almost all white, and they were out protesting on behalf of people of color because they was like, no, yes, I am in a white body, but this is wrong. This can't be, and we can't provide cover to, and this is them speaking, to, by our silence, we can't provide comfort to people who want to do this. Their apology is their action of saying, no, this is not a safe haven for you to continue to do those wrongs. That, that, and so that, that's one example. But how do we, in a context where we are made aware of wrongs on a global scale, though, what does it mean to not make you know, wrongdoers comfortable when we often are encountering wrongdoing that we have no connection to. So like, for example, I could say the Russian invasion of Ukraine is wrong. I don't know how I could make them less comfortable. I mean, I could whack my finger at Vladimir Putin right now. I don't think that really makes him uncomfortable. Um, so I think, and, and, you know, that's kind of an extreme example, but to me, that's, that's the challenge of there are so many wrongs that we are exposed to. It feels like punching at the wind to just be yelling, you know, don't do this anymore. Okay, well, to who? When? Why? You know, like, I, that, that's the tension that I feel about apology is at least... I tend to think about it in terms of a more of a relational context. Like I feel like the place where I can best apologize is in relationship where I see someone carries the weight of wrong actions by me or by kind of more institutional structures that I'm associated with or connected to. Then I feel like I can speak to an individual and say, 
hey, I see that you got kicked out of church for your sexuality, and I'm sorry if I, you know, if if I feel like that was uh, a wrong that was done to you. Yeah, I'm with you. I look at so many wrongs. You know, I don't believe Vladimir Putin is doing it in the name of God. So for me, there's a difference in the church perpetuating it, religion perpetuating it. He might be, though. He could. That's what I'm saying. I I don't know. I don't know. But I—yes. So I thought, yes. Yeah. But to go along with that, right, I think about um, World War II. I think about Hitler. And um, I think about voices being jailed because they were speaking out. So— it's not for me necessarily apologizing to people as much as it is not being complicit by my silence. And especially me as a pastor, I just lost another family from our church because of my voice speaking about privilege, white privilege, Black Lives Matter, and and the the books that that I've been reading and that they um you know thought that I believed in critical race theory I don't even know I, I haven't studied critical race theory so I don't know I'm not I'm not well read on it and I lost another family and and the journey that I had you know within this meeting was I can't back down from this you know, I can't step away from this. And and I said to them, I'm I'm not moving off of my verbiage. You know, I I love you guys, but I'm not moving off of my verbiage. So to do that would be for me to be complicit. How do individuals though, you know, you know, it's one thing to have a you know, a position. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think when we talk about the church apologizing, obviously leaders, people from the pulpit have uh, a, an opportunity to, to speak and to share and kind of put out into the world a word. Mm-hmm. But from an individual perspective, um, I, I still get stuck on like, there's 500 things I could be protesting. So, I mean, do I need to be holding 500 signs? Like, is the bumper <laughs> no. sticker? Yes. No. Is yes. the bumper sticker? You know, I just feel like it kind of can get. And you see people going to this because they don't right. know what to do. They, right. they yes. have 500 it's overwhelming. bumper stickers about this and that and this. And I'm just like, I don't, I think you got too many, too many bumper stickers. But yeah. And, and, and this is my own personal bin, right? It's uh, about action. It is, and it's small, or we see it as, a, as small when we do these one-on-one relationship type things, but they have cascading events and, and major uh, social impact, right? That church didn't know I was observing them. They were just doing their thing. They probably thought, oh, some people saw our signs in our front yard and nothing. They have no idea this person from Pennsylvania has seen this and it's starting to transform the way they see just because a church is predominantly white doesn't mean they don't have a heart to try to do something. They may just be looking for guidance. 
right? The same thing that I've seen in Pastor T and Miss Cindy as it relates to immigration of they know when people are in front of judges that are from a Latin background, they get treated differently if there's no one there, right? So this is a small action that gets that happens behind the scene that they, uh, they become aware of and they say, you know what? I got 20 minutes this afternoon. Let mm-hmm. me go sit in the courtroom. And simply by sitting it there. changes it. Changes the whole dynamic of what's happening between them and the judge. These are things that I think are way more powerful than a sign. Because it communicates to the person who's being helped that, yeah, some Christians may do that, but it's not all. And that this was real to me. Um, And it, again, for the people who do this, in this case, certain judges, that they know that's not cool. When you see me walking down the street, I still remember you were doing this to people. And that's not cool with me. Mm -hmm. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. First, I want to acknowledge and agree that I even personally can easily get overwhelmed by the number of things that we could get involved in that are injustices. And I get overwhelmed by the blindness of the church and their perpetration of um, prejudices and wrongs, you know, that that you just like help us. But I'm going to go ethereal for a minute. I believe that every action that we make is a seed planted for hope, for forgiveness, for for putting good things out into the world. So one person doing something behind the scenes, you never know who you're helping or coming alongside of. So I think it's in my little sphere of influence that God has placed me in. I'm going to be as faithful as I can in my sphere of influence. Might be one person, might be 10, might be hundreds. I don't know. But I think the journey is picking up what burns in our hearts mm-hmm. most right. of all and and ourselves not perpetuating that. You know, I had an experience with a doctor and they were talking actually about Black Lives Matter during Black Lives Matter, you know, when it was pretty much at a peak. And they were, why we got in this conversation, I don't even know, but they were were kind of coming against it, con, you know, condemning it. And I thought of James and I, who we had this conversation often, and, and James, I think it was his mother, said to him, don't get in the foxhole with somebody who can get out. And that has just just resonated with me. So being within a white body, I could have backed down from this conversation and walked out and been fine. But, you know, the foxhole image came to my head and I went, I can't back down from the conversation because that would be climbing out of the foxhole. So I'm going to stay in this. And we had a conversation. It wasn't pleasant, <laughs> you know, but we had the conversation. And was he changed? Did anything happen? I have no clue. But for me, it was, I'm going to stand in what I know 
to do in this moment. Did I do it well? I really don't think so. But it was, I'm not going to back down because this is uncomfortable. So in an ethereal way, it's like an apology and a standing with, even though James never would have known if I got out of that hole. You never would have known if I walked away, but I would have. And so it was, how does the church, you know, reconcile or come alongside by being the church in in moments that we don't necessarily want to be. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Um, I'm st- and I'm processing the point about how not to become overwhelmed, and that becomes a different discussion. Of, but God generally gives us topics and things that resonate with us. Uh, and things that we have the power to impact, mm-hmm. right? So if I don't really, I don't have the power to really make Putin uncomfortable. So I'm not going <laughs> to put my energy on that. I'm going to put my energy on going to the ballot box. Mm. I'm going to go and put my energy on these meeting greets when people want to talk about how great of a politician they are and school board meetings where I can actually do and impact things or gaps in our uh, social services and and lending my voice locally or even with casual conversations, things that come across my path as I'm living my life. Those are the things I engage so I can stay focused on the path God has me on, right? So in this path of development and growth, things cross that path. And I'm trying to stay on it because I think all of the awareness of all the wrongs can also destroy your ability to get to the destination God has for you. Mm-hmm. So focus on the, on the destination, stay on the path. And as things come across that path, you address them. I think one of the most underutilized powers of people of Christ is the power to change environments that they exist in. Yes. Right? You set the tone. What's acceptable, what's not acceptable in terms of language, carrying yourselves, making others comfortable or uncomfortable. It's usually whoever speaks the loudest, and they're hoping no one challenges them. And it's the moment you challenge that you really figure out the rest of the room are wondering which way to go anyway. What's, what's, who's controlling the environment of this room? And I think too many times Christians will just let it play out instead of, no. I'm uh, going to stand up. I'm going to stand up. I am the king and queen in this room. Yeah, and I think that's important about like holding power. I think when individuals do have a position or have authority, that there is a greater opportunity to use that power for the purpose of repentance. Mm. And I think as people under those in authority, we, I believe we should always be advocating and supporting those who are willing to take up that power. I think too often leaders, we, we, we want leaders who won't apologize because we feel like they will make me wrong by their apology. Mm. 
while instead we should want leaders who are quick to apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a friend who led an organization that um, had an opportunity to meet uh, the Iranian president like 30 years ago. Um, you know, he kind of had, and he, he got a, uh, like an audience with him when he was visiting the UN and he apologized mm. and, uh, then he basically got fired. Um, wow. <laughs> because people, people didn't want him to, he said, I am sorry that our country took out your leader, you know, kind of be, took out democracy wow. and, mm. you know, whether he was right or wrong, you know, he was willing to to use his authority and power to address a wrong that wow. he perceived. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to hold our leaders accountable and as leaders hold ourselves accountable to wielding the power of apology and of repentance. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point to land on. We're finished with another podcast. Cracks me up because we always go, do you think we'll be able to talk long enough on this? <laughs> and then we do. So thanks so much for tuning in and listening. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I certainly enjoy these conversations. And thank you all for being a part. Dave, as always, thank you for being here and encouraging us. And by the way, that question was submitted by our sound tech, Dave. So we're all in this together. And again, please find a way to stay at the table relationally. And the more difficult it gets, I pray that we would discover how to stay and and how to remain in relationship with boundaries. So have a great day, and we will see you next time. See you later. All right. Bye-bye. Staying at the Table is hosted by Dr. Tracy Saletta, Matthew Kistler, and James Beatty, and produced by Hear It Sound and Studio. Got a question or a comment or a topic you want discussed? Email us at adminccf at gmail.com. We'd love hearing from you. And don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes coming out. And if you're feeling kind, leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. Find out more about staying at the table at cornerstonewestchester.com. Westchester.com.